0: Sharing with his disciples for the very first time his death and resurrection. He had never said it before, never shared it before. And it's interesting because it starts with a question, a very simple question. Who do they say that I am? And that's the question. And uh, the answer is varied. Some say you're John the Baptist. Risen from the dead. Some people say, you're Elijah. You've got power. You're a very powerful prophet. Maybe some saw him cry and said that he was like Jeremiah. But everybody had a name for him. And then Jesus says, who do you say I am? And it was at that moment that Peter answers. And it's, it's probably, the, it is the greatest thing Peter ever said other than accepting Christ, other than embracing him, other than accepting him as Lord and Savior, the greatest thing he ever said was, you are the Christ, the Son of God. You are Messiah. And with that, he says, you're the Son of God, the promised Messiah. With that, he shares with us the truth of God-made flesh and the creator of all flesh. In other words, there stood before them garbed in human flesh the great creator, the Lord, God Almighty. It's the greatest risk ever known. Greatest risk that was ever taken. I couldn't even go into explaining why it's a risk. Just simply letting you know and you could tell me that in this flesh dwelleth no good. We all know that. Our inclinations, our our way of moving, our way of, there's just, there's just, it's just not good. (laughs) You say, well, that's a negative way. It's not a negative way. Every psalmist said it, and that's the great truth. We were born in sin, conceived in sin. And sin was the choice, and hey, here we are, sinners. Here we are. Now when we talk about the Son of God, when we talk about who Jesus is, this is where we move into, believe it or not, our theology. And like I tell you, I'm not big into theology. Yes, I'm a minister. Yes, I studied it. Yes, I have my preparation for it. But I prefer to tell you the Word of God. I prefer prefer to share it with you. But when it comes to this great truth, yes, it is our theology. And the beauty of it is there is nothing greater. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Nothing greater. With this theology, we should be turning the world upside down. With this theology... We should be the greatest people walking the face of the earth today. With this theology, there should be people chasing after us to know what we have and, uh, and, 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 and where can they find it. But that's the problem. Many of us, that's what we have, the theology. We don't have the experience. Now theology is the truth of God which is placed in books. But that truth has to become real. That truth has to enter into our being. That truth has got to be our point of identity. You know, when I think of Calvary, there's two major forces at Calvary. A God that identified with me. Now that is awesome, just the thought of it. A God that would want to identify with me how in his flesh, in my flesh, he had and he carried, he was in our flesh, born of a woman. Now in that flesh, he identified with me. That's why in the book of Hebrews it says he's our high priest. He knows everything we go through. There isn't a base experience in our life. There isn't a gruesome experience in our life. There isn't an ugly experience in our life. There isn't a, what can I say, a degrading experience in our life that he doesn't know about, that he hasn't felt, that he can understand to Maximum degree. There's no one sitting in this chapel this day that can say, I'm going through something that God, not even God understands. God does understand. And Jesus came to prove us that God understands because Jesus is God in flesh. In the beginning it was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And all the things that were made by Him were made and without Him nothing that was made was made. And he became the light of men. And that light shines forth. And though the earth has tried to put it out, it cannot and never will. And somehow or other, I have to share with you this day, that Christianity is a minority. You say, oh no, sister. With prayers, our boys went to the Persian Gulf. With prayers, they're coming back. Yeah. And I praise the Lord for it. There's nothing, nothing minute about that. Nothing unimportant about that. But isn't it a shame that it takes a crisis to bring us to God? Isn't it a shame that it takes a crisis to make us acknowledge who he is? But that's the truth. And somehow or other, I thank God for it. But this day, I'm listening to Peter. And I'm listening to Peter simply give forth his saying. Now, what brings the conclusion? Why is he saying this? Well, first of all, he's listened to him doesn't fully understand him, but he's saying things he's never heard before. Peter is walking with him and blind eyes are being opened and the lame are walking. Leprosy is being cleansed. Demons are coming out of people and they're being set free. You've got to know that this impact has done something to Peter. So when they say, who is Christ, what do they say he is? Oh, this, that, the other one. Peter says, no, no, thou art the Messiah. Thou art the Messiah, we see in you, Messiah. And that's beautiful. And it's so important. But you know, folks, like I said, the identity crisis is solved at Calvary because there's a God that identified with me. Now that was awesome. And that's very condescending. But now he's given me the opportunity to identify with him. And how do I identify with Him? What is there about me that I can identify with Him? Am I God? No. Created in His image? Yes. But oh, such a shattered image. So that won't even help in the big sense. How can I identify with Him? Well, because they're on Calvary. For a moment, and that's all it took. He identified with me. And then I can identify with him because he became my sin. He became my burden bearer. He became my master. He became the Lord. He became the one that said, Come unto me. I will in no wise cast you out. And he that cometh unto me, I will not cast you out. And those that do come, he gives the authority to become the sons of God. So it's it's at Calvary. It's at Calvary where I can identify with him because he bore my sins. He took my load. He took everything that I could not carry. He took it. And thank God for that perfect sacrifice. This is our theology, that Christ Jesus died on Calvary for us. He died as the Son of God He died as the Lamb of God. He died as the one that would carry. Now folks, I've got something to deal with you this morning and it's interesting. We have an identity crisis in the world today, a very serious crisis. Maybe we're all used to identity crisis in our youth because they're the ones that probably manifested clearer than anybody else. It's the young people that rise up in revolt. That's why, folks, when you send your children off to college, they had better have a foundation. They had better go with a God. They had better know the Lord. Because if they don't, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. There are some professors and some teachers that will take great pride in ripping a tender faith child to pieces. And if what he has is not his, if what he has is borrowed, if what he has uh, has not sunk into his being uh, and it's not something he has accepted, he's ready to throw it off and pick up whatever else comes along. No God is the syndrome of our universities. That first year university is, is is hell for Christian parents, especially when their children go to secular colleges. Because there's something like, uh, you know, religion is the opium of the masses. Uh, what is religion? It, it's something that ties you in a million knots. It takes away your freedoms. No we don't need religion and thank God that we don't preach religion here. We preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He is Lord. He is Master. He is everything we could ever need. That's why I say that's our theology. Our children go to college with church. They don't go with theology. Or they may go with theology, but that's part of church too. They've got to go with an experience because other than that, we're all in trouble. Then there's the pseudo-God, the counterfeit, the pretense, the sham. Hey, God is anything. God is everything. Who cares? They're not standing on anything. You know, when this happens, then anyone that comes along with a strong voice will fill the vacuum. That's how a Hitler rises up. That's how a Saddam Hussein rises up. There's a vacuum that lies in the innermost part of us. You know, folks, we are magnificently made, and if you don't know it, read Psalm 139 when you get home. There is no computer system, there is no microchip, there is no organization or organism or whatever it. I'm, I'm trying to speak more in technology than I can in in the human sense. Uh, there is nothing that can compare to the human mind. Absolutely nothing. Uh, uh, this base back here oh don't i don't know if it's uh, what is it the ibm or is it uh, I, I don't know pc or if it's uh, a mac this back here is the greatest machinery the world will ever know and with it that whole column that rises falls down uh, all the way to our seat and a million messages sent out daily oh god And millions and billions of cells uh, being replenished every day. Uh, Some new ones coming in, old ones going out. Uh, And naturally, when that goes crazy, we've got cancer and we've got sicknesses and we've got illness. But we are still the most beautiful made creature. That's why when somebody tells me that this came together with some kind of spontaneous combustion, I have to talk to them. You need more faith than I need to believe in God. Because it just couldn't have been that way. When we think of the no-God syndrome that pursues this world of the pseudo-God, the counterfeits, then there's there's the identification with culture. I was a prison chaplain for 10 years, and I'll always remember, one of the main problems we had as chaplains is that you could not minister to anybody unless they filled out an application stating what their religion was. Naturally, the the inmates could do whatever they want and go wherever they want, but it was quite interesting. And sometimes the Catholic girls would come to me as a Protestant chaplain, and my priest would stand at the door and look at the girls and go, no. When they go out, he'd speak to them. And I used to say to myself, well, what do I do? But you see, I didn't have any problems. Isn't that funny? He was afraid that they'd make a transfer from Catholic to Protestant. I never signed a transfer slip in 10 years because who cares? There's nothing in a name. There's nothing in a title. There's nothing in a religion. There's nothing in a a denomination. There's nothing in that. I'm not saying, don't be Catholic, be Protestant, or don't be Protestant, be Catholic. I'm not saying that. I never will. As long as I live, I never will. I will simply say the following. Jesus Christ is our Savior. If you need help, he's there. Call him by name uh, and he'll answer you. Uh, He's promised never to leave us and never to forsake us. Uh, No matter how tight the rope, he'll be there. He'll walk with us. Uh, He'll talk with us. He'll see us through. What are you called? I don't care what you're called. I thank the Lord for that. But sometimes the identity crisis becomes a culture crisis, and that becomes a little bit more difficult. When somebody tells you you've got to be a Muslim because you're black, we're in trouble. We are in trouble because that is not the way it goes. Let me tell you something, somehow or other, this is is me, okay, so uh, put a parenthesis around this. If you buy a tape, put a parenthesis around this. I'm so glad that God chose the East for Jesus' hometown and for his coming. You know why? The Mideast is not white. Did you know that? It's not black either. How do you like that? It's like in between. I have no problems, folks. I do not say my God is white. I do not say my God is black. And if he was cafe con leche, it still makes no, no, no difference to me. Coffee with milk, you know, the, 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 the in-between color. doesn't make no difference. The important thing is who is he? His name is Jesus. Who is he? He is Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the one that was chosen from the foundations of the world. He is the one that simply says, and he says it loud, and he says it clear. When his father said, Who shall I send, and who shall go? And he said, I will, Father, send me and the plan down through the ages so specific so perfect every prophecy fulfilled the place the time the situations if the people want to pull a shade on that go ahead it's still there you know we don't have, we don't we don't take away truth because we don't believe in it truth is truth whether you believe in it or you don't believe in it it stands alone it stands the test of time it stands the test of pressures it stands the test of, uh, of, what shall we say, investigation and everything else. Let me share this with you. Peter comes up to Jesus and says, what did you say? And he says, I've got to die. I've got to die for you. And Peter says, oh no. Listen, we've got such a good thing going. What are you talking about? We can go on forever like this. You heal the sick, that makes you popular. You teach these nice things you teach. I don't fully understand them, but it's okay. I'm satisfied. Do you know what it is to say to a demon man, Demon, come out! And he's set free. Do you know what that is? Do you know how the multitudes follow us along the riverbanks? Do you know how they walk down with us? Oh, Master, don't spoil a good thing. Are you afraid? You're afraid the Jewish people are going to kill you? You're afraid of that? You're afraid they're going to lock you up? You're afraid they're going to do you harm? Whoa! I got good news for you. I'll take care of you. Isn't that perfect? Peter, the big fisherman. That's what happens when you trust in brawny shoulders and high heads. No. And then Jesus said to him, and it's so interesting because it's the same man he's been speaking to For the last five minutes it's the man that says thou art the christ thou art messiah you say well well, was he wrong there is he wrong here i mean hey come on what what is it folks let me share this with you there are moments of light illumination and revelation they come from god but that doesn't make us cease to be human do you understand what i mean we're still human Because you have a revelation from God does not mean that you walk out of here with wings and a crown on your head. That you float along the, you know, clouds. No, 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 no. It simply says to us that although we're mortal and although we're weak and although we're nothing maybe to some people, yet God would bless us with a revelation from heaven above. Praise his holy name. And that's what Peter had gotten. Now Peter says, no, 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 you can't go that way, please. Please. Please, do us a favor. You cannot go that way. Peter rejects the death plan. And then Jesus rejects the Peter plan. It's interesting. He says to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Wow, that's, that's heavy language. Now what did he mean? He meant the following. It was Satan's purpose that Jesus never get to Calvary. You've heard of the conflict of the ages? That messianic line trying to be choked out, bombed out, uh, warred out, uh, all the way down through the history of Israel. The Jewish people are a privileged nation, but their privilege was to bring Messiah. Their privilege was to bless all the nations of the earth. If they got caught up in who they thought they were, hey, that's their problem. But their main job on the face of the earth was to be the people through who which God would bring his son. And we accept that and we love it. The only thing is, we walk carefully because God says, whoever blesses them, God will bless them. And whoever curses them, God will curse them. And follow your history, you will see that come through loud and clear. Now, the basis of rejection. What's the basis of rejection? Here's the basis of rejection. And Jesus turns and looks at the disciples. And then he says to Peter very sternly, Satan, get behind me. You're looking at this only from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. And what is the human point of view? Don't die. Stay with us. Do your nice things. We don't want you to go. Don't even talk about that. Then Jesus went out and he started to speak to the people. I want you to notice his conversation please then he called his disciples and the crowds to come over and to listen to him and they did and listened to what he said to them and then he told them if any of you want to be my follower this is interesting he told them you must put aside your own pleasure shoulder your cross and follow me closely now There are two ways, two ways. The way of men, which is the Peter way. Don't die, just do your thing. Be a nice man and when you do die normally and naturally of old age, we'll bury you and we'll have a beautiful memory block put up for you. But that wasn't God's plan. What is the plan of men? This is the plan of men, do as you please enjoy life. Does it feel good? I've heard people say, after acts of sin, my conscience revealed nothing to me. I felt good at what I was doing. So I don't think God's against my life or my desires. That's man's way. Do as you please. Enjoy it. Do what feels good. No denials. That's man's way. And you say, Sister Amy, uh, what do you mean that's man's way? Well, that is man's way. That's the way society moves. That's the way society believes. And it's interesting because no matter what happens to us and no matter how horrendous the consequences, we never stop to take note or to look. Folks, don't trust your conscience. Your conscience is your heart. And the scripture says that there's nothing more deceitful than your heart. You say, oh, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says, above all things God, it God your heart because from it flow the issues of life. That's why Jesus says, give me your heart. Why? Because if I can have your heart, I'll have your whole being. Some people want to give Jesus their minds, their very fruitful minds. Some people want to give Jesus their strength, their very adequate strength. Some people want to give Jesus their talents, their very beautiful talents. But he doesn't want any of that. Because what he wants is your heart, what he wants is your mind, what he wants is your soul. Because once he's got the inside, the outside then has perfect control. And a control to what? To die? To die? To not be alive, to not vibrate, to to not use our talents, to not enjoy life. No, no, no. I've come that you might have life and more abundantly. The only thing is that the devil has made us feel, and I say it very plainly, that if life isn't filled with his stupor, if life isn't filled with what the devil calls his joy, that we're not enjoying life. Let me tell you, that joy is very passing. And it's not worth your soul. What is God's way? He says, follow me. And I love that. How simple the call of Jesus. Follow me and I will lead thee. I'll take you out to green pastures. I'll watch over you. I'll be your shepherd. What does that mean? That in Jesus we have direction. Matter of fact, Jesus goes a little farther and he says, lose your life for God. Lose it for the gospel's sake. You know why? Because then you'll really find it. You'll really find it. Oh, folks, life is not what we did last night. Uh, Life is not a conjecture in our mind. Uh, Life is not those things that we've sized up to be the pleasure pots of our existence. No. Listen. Life is peace up here. He whose mind is stayed on thee, thou wilt give him perfect peace. Why? Because he trusted thee. When you trust God, you've got the greatest help you can ever get. You've got the greatest strength you can ever get. You will surely find it. If you save your life for just this world, you'll lose it. But if you give it to the Lord, you'll find it. You will certainly find it. We want to save our life for our pleasures. Sometimes they want to save it for the power involved. And the power play of life is a guaranteed loss, folks. It's a guaranteed loss. There are people that would take a job with less money so long as they could command people. There's a hunger for power. There's a hunger to take over. There's a hunger to give commands. That's our way of life. You say, Sister Amy, well, weren't we meant to be leaders? Yeah, but leaders shaped in the potter's house. And the leaders shaped in the potter's house are pastors. The leaders shaped in the potter's house are tender. The leaders shaped in the potter's house, by that I mean the potter's house is where God is. God is the almighty potter. Jesus is the great potter. And he's the one that takes the clay of our lives. Uh, and he's the one that makes us useful. He does. Makes us useful. And you know what? When we surrender to God and to his pleasures, we then learn to do something that we were created for. Worship. If you're uncomfortable with a hallelujah, if you're uncomfortable with letting the glory to God flow from your lips. If, if you don't feel at home with blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh Jesus, I love you. If, if this is a discomfort for you, say, no sister, it's not a discomfort. I say it inside. I don't say it outside. Well, that's okay. That's okay. No problems with that either. So long as you say it. So long as you say it. But sooner or later, let me tell you what's going to happen. The scripture says that there's rivers of living water flowing within you. And in one of those quiet moments, it's going to come out like Niagara Falls. Glory to God in the highest. Hallelujah. And let it go. Whenever it comes, let it go. Somebody you say, what did you say? And you say, I just said, hallelujah. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever gone to say hello to somebody and you say, God bless you, brother? And they look at you as they'll say, Where, where'd he come from? <laughs> okay. That's all right. The way of man is interesting. Jesus says, can you, can you, well, suppose you try to forfeit your soul for the things of life. What exchange do we have? What can you give for your soul? What are you ready to give God for your soul? Well, believe it or not, there is no. There is no exchange. There is no exchange. We do a lot of bartering on earth. We do a lot of wheeling and dealing on earth. Uh, One of those games could be fasting and prayer. One of those games uh, could be uh, very special moments of uh, uh, going to church on a rush basis or or, or doing something. uh, We try to bother with God, but you can't. You can't give him three fastings so that your child will get well. You say, oh, but the Bible says that uh, once there was a man who had a son and he had demons and, and the disciples couldn't cast him out. And then Jesus came and cast out the disciples, uh, cast out the demon. And the disciples then said, Well, why couldn't we do it? And then Jesus said, Well, this generation or this type of demon doesn't come out but through fasting and prayer. But it doesn't mean you go home and fast and pray. It means you live a life of fasting and prayer. And that life of fasting and prayer produces authority. And with that authority, you can cast it out, Amen. okay? Oh, we've got so many little grocery store things that we've made up from the Bible, and they are grocery store. No, Jesus is not Pathmark. He's not war bombs. He's a life that's committed. In other words, a life that's committed to him then gets filled with his power. Our greatest win, okay? The scripture says if you lose your soul, it's the greatest loss. The greatest loss. And that's why as a church, I think we've got enough dynamic power in this church. I think we've got enough people uh, to go out and tear down a million walls and try... But I've got to tell you a secret. I've got to tell you a secret about us. There's nothing we want to do on the face of the earth more than communicate the truth of Jesus Christ. Tell the people. And somehow or other... In these close quarters, it's so easy to do. To tell you that Jesus loves you. To tell you that he died for you. To tell you that he'll never leave you. To tell you that whatever pain you're going through, whatever sorrow you're going through, whatever sense of repentance you have, he understands. Our job till Jesus comes, and if he gives us a wider cross, we thank the Lord. But we don't want to move into anything that doesn't give us that 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 vision Of just proclaiming him. You know why? Because if men lose their souls, they're lost for eternal damnation. And you say, Sister Amy, that's kind of rough. Don't talk like that. Yes, it's rough. But always remember this. It's by choice. There won't be anybody in hell that didn't choose to go there. Isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? Oh, Sister Amy, can't somebody get there by mistake? They were the biggest mistake. No, there is no mistake. There are choices. There are choices. That's why this week in parenting, we're gonna talk about choices. I'm a crazy mother, and look at me straight. My kids had no choice till they were 18. Oh, what a way to rear children. Oh. Well, I've got one blessing. They're all serving the Lord. They've all chosen the Lord as their Savior and Master. We haven't always agreed. We don't have to agree. What we have to do is serve the Lord with all of our hearts. Yeah. Hey, folks, I share with you that the loss of the soul is the greatest loss. It's the loss of a soul that Jesus saw. That's why he came and died. You say, well, what about all the people before? Well, if they died in the hope of Messiah, they waited for his triumph on Calvary. And the captive was set free and taken up to paradise with Jesus. And today, all those that believe. Oh, Sister Amy, do you have to be a Protestant? No, you don't have to be anything but yourself. What are you, Peter, James, Mary? What's your name, Patrick? who are you? Rose, Rose needs Jesus. You need Jesus. And that's the greatest win. The greatest win is salvation. Why do we win with salvation? Well, first of all, we win because we receive freedom from sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We receive the washing of our sins. That's the freedom. We receive, we're freed from guilt. And we're freed from our past. There are so many people that live in the horror of their past whether it was past last week or whether it was past 10 years ago whatever it is our salvation wipes away the past and gives us a new slate and we can begin the minute we accept him as our savior that's the way it goes folks that's the truth of the gospel that's the simple theology about jesus he is the son of god he is the master He can do all things. Listen to where this chapter ends, and I'll end the same way. Anyone who's ashamed of me and my message in these days of unbelief and sin, I, the Messiah, will be ashamed of him when I return in the glory of my Father with the holy angels. It's a simple warning. Don't be ashamed of him. Accept him. Or he'll be ashamed of you. And it'll be too late for acceptance. You see, folks, the center of our existence has got to be Jesus. You say, Sister Amy, your world is very small. You're a minister. You're in church. That's all you talk about. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, don't say that. Don't say that. I travel with you people in prayer daily to maybe 100 or 1,000 offices in the city of New York. I think of you as you go to your jobs, the strap hangers, those that take your cars and go. I think of a world out there that needs the Lord. Now, I'm not locked up in my religion. I'm not locked up in my call. I am locked up in my Savior. His name is Jesus, and I don't have anything else, and I don't want anything else. How can you want something when you've proven it's true? How can you want something when it's never failed you, something else when it's never failed you? How can you reach out and say this is better when you've got the best? But you must be convinced through the word, through prayer, through fellowship. You must be convinced that he is the best. And I am.